Hello and welcome to UX Like Us, a podcast for user experience designers, researchers, strategists, and half astronauts. <laughs> I'm your user experience half astronaut, Roma Burkott. <laughs> Joining me as always is Larry King. Larry, how's it going? Uh, I was almost in a band called Half Astronaut, um, but we ended up not going to <laughs> you're too half-assed. <laughs> That's right, you're too half-assed. <laughs> also joining us today is Paul Lumsday. Paul is a UX designer at NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory who is passionate about product strategy, experience design, and educating the next generation of designers. Paul, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I was recently watching For All Mankind, and I was getting uh, sentimental about how being a kid growing up in Houston in the 80s, I wanted to be an astronaut so bad. And at some point, life just kind of went in a different directions, but I was kind of reminiscing. And then it hit me. I was like, you know what? There's got to be designers in NASA, in, in SpaceX, in space. So this episode is all about designers in space. Yay. Um, yeah, there are actually a lot of different designers in space. And not to disappoint you, but I don't actually design for space. I design for a business IT organization within a company that builds and designs things that go into space. <laughs> it still counts. It still counts. Yeah. I mean, it, it's still really cool. I mean, I still got to see the Mars rover like being built and it was the building across from mine. I got to like walk over and like go in there and see people in what they call the bunny suits, you know, in, in the clean room, like tinkering and working away on the rover. And it's like, oh, they're putting the wheels on today. It's like, okay, let's go over and see the wheels. So, I mean, that stuff is really cool. And I've definitely nerd out on that because, yeah, like when I was a kid, I was promised flying cars by 2010 and that didn't happen. And I was disappointed. <laughs> but then, and, you know, I got to work for, for JPL. So, um, that that was that was good. I, I will I will gladly not have flying cars and be able to work for JPL. Yeah, seems like a pretty sweet deal. So how what was your path to get into JPL? I mean, that's that's a fascinating like for me, I'm like same thing. It's like I was a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut too. I was like followed the space shuttle. I remember the very first space shuttle launch um back in the early eighties. I I think I remember like the 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 Enterprise, which is the space shuttle that didn't even launch. It was just like a uh, they just dropped it from a plane just to test the the you know landing of it, and I was like all into that stuff. Um, so um, now my path never made it into anything cool um, like space exploration. But uh, tell us a little bit about how you got into JPL and how how did that happen? Yeah, I mean, I I, I failed my way to success, like most of us. Um, yeah, I mean, so you know, I mean, it my my path into UX was pretty weird because I you know just had tinkered with computers and design my whole life, basically, you know, four years old on the Apple IIe, like designing like posters that print out on a, a, a dot matrix. Um, so that was like really early on. Right. But, you know, over the years, I never imagined there would be a thing. There would be the, even the internet, right. Uh, it, none of that I could have ever were my wildest dreams, but space was carrying through that. Uh, you know, I got to college and I wanted to have fun. And so I didn't focus on anything like computer science or any, engineering kind of degree. <laughs> I, I, I went straight for English because it was easy for me. I could, I can read and I can write. And I was also just interested in literature, you know, that, that early like spark of fiction 
and science fiction, especially in cyber fiction, a lot of those those authors. Um, so I, I really enjoyed reading books, and I you know I barely past college, uh, you know, my dad came to me and said, you know what? It's okay. C's get degrees. I was like, yeah, (laughs) I'm glad you don't know my GPA because I'm just barely at a C. Um, but, but, you know, I, I, I graduated and then afterwards I had no idea what I wanted to do. And, um, I actually started working for a small interaction company that built like flash websites when that was a thing. Um, so out of college, I kind of like, Mm -hmm. I I faked my way into the job. Basically I had learned a program that basically could generate, it was, it was kind of like, um, an easy builder for flash websites. So I was like making websites and then I applied to this job, almost didn't go for the interview, but I like went to Ross and I bought clothes for the job interview. Cause I was like, I don't have any nice clothes. And, and I left the tags in, I changed in the Ross bathroom, went to this job expecting not to get it. And the, the, you know, the guy was like, okay, so, you know, we start 9am Monday. And I was like, wait, I, I got the job. And he's like, yeah, you know, your portfolio looks pretty good. I had no idea I even had a portfolio. That was up in Santa Barbara, moved back to LA, got a web design job working for a publishing company and was doing email marketing. And that is like, not a fun thing to be doing mm. as a designer or as a, you know, like the, the, you know, 2006, 2007, uh, like email marketing templates. Like, so that was what I was doing around that time. And uh, it was not fun, especially at, all. at the time. It was so hard to so hard to control the the layouts, and I mean, it still is. But yeah, especially at the time you couldn't really get it to look how you want it to look. So I was taking night classes um, at one of those paid for art colleges, uh, you know, those those for profit schools, and it, it was it was weird because the person who came in was this person uh, Jamie Levy, and she taught the class. Um, like it was an information architecture class. Like she, she said, you're all going to build these, these decks about some kind of, you know, digital product. She didn't say digital product at the time. She probably just said website. Um, and here's the things that I've done. And she showed us some of the work that she had done. And then she said, you're going to do this. Eventually it got to the point where I really liked the stuff I was doing with Jamie and I felt a passion for it. And I was like, you know, at the time it was still like interaction design or information architecture. It wasn't really UX was just starting to be that that UX designer role was just starting to come, you know, to be in like 2009-ish, I think. And I transitioned to working for Jamie and hmm. she had that contract with Cisco Systems. So I got to work full-time for Cisco Systems from my own home office, like with Jamie as my boss, she had the contract with them. Um, and she was the most awesome boss because she just kind of left me alone, but was there whenever I was in trouble or needed help. Um, but I got tired of being a consultant and trying to sell myself and sell UX design all the time um, as a commodity. Um, you know, I, I felt a little soulless mm. in that, you know, um, and it was a lot of travel and I just had uh, my, my son. Um, and so I didn't want to travel as much. And I was like, you know what, I've had enough of this. I was on my second round of interviews with Disney Studio and JPL had just called me and scheduled my first interview. And so I called up Jamie and I said, Jamie, what do I do? And she's like, well, really just think about it. Like, like, what is it that you want out of these companies? Still to this day, it seems very surreal because I was not feeling very confident, like going into it. And then I felt like immediately coming out of it, extremely confident. And then I was worried that I was too confident, (laughs) you know, that whole, you know, cycle. Um, (laughs) 
And, and it took, the whole process took two months, which if you're like looking for a job and you're unsure um, and you're having to travel for business, I was still having to travel for the company I was working for. Two months is a very, very long time to wait for a decision. Um, but it's JPL and they can take however so much time they need. So, yeah. <laughs> That's right. So, so that actually uh, raises an interesting point. It seems like um, for, for government jobs, for uh, jobs contracting to the government, that the, the process uh, is very different than what you would run into. Um, especially I'm thinking, you know, along the lines of somebody who is a, a newer designer, um, you know, younger designer, what kinds of things would they need to expect? Yeah. So I, you know, I've, I've heard anecdotally from people, other aerospace companies that it's, it's kind of different, kind of the same. I think what makes JPL unique is it's a NASA center, but it's, you're not government employees, you're employees of Caltech. So it's actually an academic kind of, uh, institution that you're, you're applying for a job with and they, their employees, JPL employees are contractors. So, you know, NASA basically pays Caltech to maintain the JPL facility and all the employees are Caltech employees. Um, so you're, you're part of like an academic institution. Um, so luckily I'd been teaching at UCI for a few years. So I used that as well in my interview that I was very closely tied to, you know, academic institutions and understood that. Um, but what, what is the, the most frustrating thing is, is like, like the application process is like, you're trying to upload a portfolio you have of this high resolution, amazing work that you're so proud of. And they give you two megabytes, right? They give you like this very like, so you have to like condense all of that amazing stuff you've worked on over the, you know, for me, it was past nine years, all this amazing stuff I had, all this high fidelity work and put it into these little tiny boxes and screenshots and try to like, you know, I ended up throwing everything in Keynote because the InDesign PDF I had created was like too large, no matter how much I tried to compress it. And then I just put links to everything. Like I just put everything in a Dropbox and I had links on every single page of the keynote. That's so what I like, thought of when you said you had put everything over into Dropbox, the, the high fidelity versions. So I was like, let me guess. Dropbox was blocked. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it, it probably, you know, so they had to like turn off their VPN to get to drop. I don't know. There's probably some, <laughs> some, some stuff like that, but um but yeah, and it's and it's also them not really knowing. Like I had to do a lot of explanation of what a UX designer does in my interview. So you you might be hired into a situation where people don't really they don't have that full history and that understanding of that background. Basically, mm -hmm. had to give that a condensed version of all of that, and then kind of explain like what it is I would do for them and the things that I would do. You know, usability testing and personas and journey maps and you know these workshops and. And it, you know, so, it, was, it was, seemed very overwhelming to them, but you know, that's what you have to do as part of the job because you're not in an organization that really has that history and understanding of user experience design. So, so does that infer that you're a, a UX team of one? There's another UX designer. So, uh, Emma was hired on through a rotational program where they get to basically go through all the business organizations and choose the role. And she got into JPL and under that rotation program and said she wanted to be a UX designer. So eBiz was like kind of the only place in the business organizations because it was the only kind of, you know, IT related, you know, organization. And so she came on shortly after I had started, it's like maybe six months after. Um, and she came out of college um, and I learned a lot from her. Um, and, you know, she's, 
she's done amazing things. You can look up things. She's on the Forbes 30 under 30 list, I think for enterprise, uh, enterprise companies. And she's, she's like, she's done podcasts and interviews. So I had to ask her advice about this podcast. Like, what do I have to do? Mentoring is like one of my favorite things to do because when you can, you know, you see somebody become better than yourself and you're able to help, you know, guide them in that, in in that journey. That's just like, it's like super rewarding and seeing people, you know, just like become the best self that they can is like, it's reward in itself. Just, you know, the see and, and, and sort of facilitate that happening. I really enjoy it. Yeah. And and that's why I never turn down people who just randomly reach out to me on LinkedIn or like my former students, like actually the reason I'm on this podcast because a former student connected me and like that, that student, like when he was in my class, like, you know, he, he came up to me and, uh, uh, he was like, yeah, I have this internship, so I can only make half of your classes. And I was like, well, you're going to miss out a lot. And he's like, yeah, but you know, I, I think I can do it. And then like, you know, I saw his first project and I was like, yeah, I don't worry about this, this, this guy at all. He's going to do fine. <laughs> it's like, he knows what he's doing, little instruction, able to take off, you know, it, you know, and so when I see students like that it really gives me a lot of hope, but I always, you know, tell them like, Hey, if you ever need just anyone to talk to, reach out to me. Like I extend it to all my students and I say, you know, look, I'm, I'm being paid to be your professor, but I will be there as like a mentor or caller, whatever for the future. Like just reach out to me. You don't have to pay me money. You don't have to like buy me coffee. Like just reach out to me and let me know because it is such a reward to like give back to people and then see them like succeed and go on and like, you know, sur- surpass you in terms of their experience. At that point, they're just getting the piece of paper that can help them get that next job because they don't feel like they can. Often it's a, it's a, you know, imposter syndrome thing where it's like, oh, I, not that not that good and they're really brilliant and they just don't even realize it and then your job as a mentor is just to tell them that to say hey you're really good like this is good work yep. <laughs> like you are special like it's it's okay you know to, to you know like i know you're not sure of it but like you're doing really good stuff and so whenever i see a student like that i make sure you know and to tell them like this is good you know i think that's that's also what sometimes they need to hear as well is like you know the ones who are ready telling them they're ready and the ones who are not ready saying Hey, here's what you can do in order to build up those skills and the things you need in order to, to get yourself to where you want to go. Organizations should really embrace like the more junior designers because, you know, we've sort of gotten to a situation where we are is like, we have a whole, we have a whole bunch of people that are more senior, a bunch of senior Mm -hmm. people and no junior people. And now then you have the, you run into this problem of like, well, where do all these senior people going to go? What's their career path here? They don't have one because they're all vying for that, you know, that handful of promotions that can be, you know, coming up. And if you're, you know, like doing like we're doing and, and hiring really well, you're hiring really good people. And now you have to like make choices and then people get frustrated because, you know, they're doing good work too and they're not getting, you know, and blah. it's just like this vicious cycle. And we've just realized it's like, yeah, we just need to get more junior people in and, 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 you know, and, you know, have more mentoring. And so you can have you know, a more, more balanced team. Cause I, th- I see a lot of organizations. They just, they just want to hire senior people, hire, you know, senior people, senior, senior people. And, and, and that doesn't really work once you get to a certain scale. But- yeah. Actually just before this, you, you know, I started this, I was late because I was coming from a meeting with, with like all of my favorite people. And, and this was actually all the people who I like really respect on lab who do design work and who do user experience work. And, uh, you know, they, it was, it was mainly like, you know, the, the different management teams that the, you know, the people from the human centered designs group. Uh, so they do a lot of the stuff for the, 
the the mission operations. They build the software that they use to drive the rovers and to stitch together images from the from the rover so people can look at it as if it's a landscape and all the really cool like process improvement projects for like Europa Clipper. So those people are on the call. And then people from the studio were on the call who do like these really cool art installations um, that try to help explain science to to everyday people and try to explain very very like complex you know uh, scientific research to everyone so if you look up the studio at jpl like they do some really cool like they call it visual strategy work and then someone who heads up the design lab which is basically like internal and external communications like the external website you see and they just re rebranded and redid the the external website and it's amazing and so all of these people i'm just i'm like it's rare that i get to be in one call with all of them and we were telling, we were all talking about like younger designers within JPL who are kind of sometimes assigned to projects and working on things in somewhat silos. Like the, the interesting thing about like space and these kind of federally funded research and development centers is projects will last a very, very long time. Um, you're not having that quick cycle of like, you know, working on something new every three to six months. You could be working on a research project for, you know, a year, two years, three years, right? And just doing research and, and top line wow. synthesis. And I mean, and, and some of these projects too, the things you're working on are, are for people who, you know, haven't even like graduated high school yet, or ha- maybe haven't even entered high school, like the software and the processes that you might be working on that are going to control like Europa Clipper. So Chris Blackwood, who works on the Europa Clipper stuff is like for people who are going to be operating in the 2030s right so like you have to think like what will those future you know people need the 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 future you know uh you know people who are getting the science data from that craft people who are helping operate it those people have not even entered the workforce yet um and so like you know you're having you're having this (laughs) this interesting conversation going on between this the all these great designers and we're all talking about how we're basically now just coming together and looking at user experience as a capability on lab to further our missions, our scientific research, and the enterprise as a whole. The the methods we use as UX designers have made its way thanks to you know the pioneers, people like Scott Davidoff and Dan Goods, who've been working at JPL for so long. Their ideas of design thinking and of doing creative workshops have made its way into like the formulation practices of JPL. And so you see a lot of space companies now and even old institutions like JPL and other NASA centers using these new methods. So, you know, whereas it'd be really hard to find a UX design job at JPL right now, there's not many of them. And like the the list of candidates is long and a lot of people apply. I think in the future, there's going to be a lot more opportunity, not just for JPL or for NASA, but for all the various privatized space companies that are, that are popping up and that are starting to get more money because you know the the private space industry is starting to to grow and to blossom and so for young designers to be interested in that and to come into it i think it's it's up to us the the older designers to kind of impart our knowledge and wisdom but also to just you know in some some regards get out of their way let them grow let them envision the future um, and learn from them as well I'm kind of surprised and I don't know why I am, but that, that it sounds like you, it's a very design mature organization well, at JPL. I, I, w- I wouldn't um, go that far. You're, you're, <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. But like they're involved, involving design at the, at the highest level of the organization to 
better understand what they're doing well and what they're not doing well and using that as a part of the transformation process. I, that to me, that sounds like there's some, there's some, some design wokeness there, going on. There, there is. And well, so like, you know, the person who hired me, my division manager put me on this team of system engineers. And so if you know anything about system engineering, it's, it's its own brand of, of awesomeness, let me say, but it, it, it's a different skill set. It, there's a lot of activities that system engineers do that are user experience adjacent, and but they don't really focus on humans. They focus on systems, right? And they're very good at focusing on systems and eliciting requirements and understanding how all the pieces of the puzzle fit together. And that's where the connection as a UX designer I've tried to make. I, I basically said, here's what we need to do. We need to do like one-on-one interviews with all these different stakeholders and we need to you know synthesize that. And we need to do these workshops. And they were like, uh... Sounds like a lot of trouble, a lot of time, <laughs> you know, and it was just like, can't we just do a survey? <laughs> what about a focus group? So, okay. Don't give me sorry, focus groups. So they, they kind of said, well, we're not yeah. going to do interviews, but we'll, we'll give you a chance with the workshop. And, and I like formulated this whole cool, like workshop with all these, this, this business, the, all these business folks. So it was people like, like some of the people I knew or that knew me because they knew my manager in the business IT organization. And like, I was asking a lot because it was like, you know, 15 or 16 people. And these are, you know, some, some, some of them are managers, some of them are, you know, either section or division managers. So they're pretty high up. And I was asking for their time in a two hour workshop. And, and, you know, to, to some degree, it was, it was a huge success just because the system engineering team was there and they said, wow, that was, that was not a waste of time. (laughs) That was actually, you know, that was amazing. So the design maturity of the organization is increasing because we have a lot of great experienced UX professionals. So those those people I've mentioned, like Scott and Chris and Dan Goods, who kind of have been champions for UX, they, they spent a decade trying to get this level of UX maturity. And it's still not to where everyone is happy and satisfied with it, but it's it's gaining steam because they've been instrumental in hiring on people who have that same mindset. And then we we brought on Lynn Boyden, um, you know, onto our team, onto our research team, and and I am learning things from her every day. She's an amazing uh, researcher. She would not call herself a designer, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give her that label. But she is an amazing researcher. Uh, she has you know this ability to just you know take take a workshop and completely transform the way people think after they leave the workshop. The thing we found through our research is that we have a lot of strong design and research expertise at JPL. It's just, we need to put more work into sharing and evangelizing that work with the rest of the engineering community. And and we're slowly doing it. You know, now there's a researcher on every one of these project teams for this, you know, enterprise transformation project. So any, every little project that's, you know, comes out of that, basically they said, we need a human-centered researcher on that project from the beginning. That is a huge change. It's still very engineering-focused, but you know we're slowly bringing them in, saying, "Yeah, let's let's talk more about people than than robots." And that, that's hard when we make robots. Right? That's what we're known for—is making robots. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's hard for even like any sort of engineering focused organization, right? They're they they they're they're engineering focused, so they go straight for the engineering, and then they think about okay, now how's this going to look? How's this going to you know solve the user problem? And and it's like it's it, it's it's backwards because you know that's just that's where they they start and getting that designer influence on there early 
is often not something that mm-hmm. happens. And so whenever you can do that, in, in my mind, that's, 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 a, that's a big yeah. win. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's that opportunity-rich environments like this, which I think is, is, is one of the reasons I'm so excited to work for JPL, is, is, is the space aspect, and it's, it's the amazing science that goes on and all the talented people. But also, also, there's so much opportunity for what it is I do to really bring value to the organization. And so a lot of the stuff I work on is not yeah, end-user interfaces. It's, it's service design it's process design and and those things need to be designed you need to think about the human element you need to do research and so you know it's 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 really interesting because i my official title is like user interface designer right and it's but it's that's very little that's less than like 10 percent of what i do but i don't want to be doing design (laughs) all the time i want to be talking to people i want to be facilitating conversations I want to be evaluating and understanding things so that when I do go to execute design, I know exactly what I'm doing. There's no, you know, of course there's some, you know, presumptive design you throw things out there and you, you hope it fails so you can learn from it. But, but, you know, I, I think I made the point that it's like, you know, there's, there's more underneath the surface. That's like the tip of the, the design UX design iceberg, so to speak. All that stuff you just talked about is like, it's getting designed whether or not there's a designer right. there or not. Right. There are people de facto, like front end developers who are designers, you know, and, and I just recently had an experience with a front end yep. developer where I was like, yeah, did you put that thing there? And then he's like, yeah, I just guessed. I just, I was like, you know, I'm just going to put it there. And it made it into like a production <laughs> product that like 3000 people use. And I was like, okay, let's just, let's reevaluate. I'll do a usability test. We'll see if people are having problems with it. Like, I don't want to be like, you know, what you did was wrong, you know, and, and they, and they were just doing the best they can. And that's how these heavy engineering, engineering organizations work. But like, and it wasn't bad. Like people got it. It was fine, you know, but it was like, it could be a little bit better. It could save that person, you know, who's doing the science, you know, the person who's like sending, you know, transmissions to Mars, like if it could save like a minute or two of their time to not have to like think about their, their time card or something like that's a, that's a win for me, you know? Um, and so, yes, I may work in a, the business IT side, mm-hmm. but like, I feel like I contribute to the science in that way and thinking about the services and the processes and how to improve life for the whole, the whole lab and not just, you know, not just pushing pixels or, or making my boss happy is, is important to them delivering the value that they're doing so that they don't make a mistake like, you know, doing metric or Imperial units <laughs> wrong and then, having, you know, uh, a spaceship crash on Mars. Right. Yep, that, that was <laughs> like, yeah, seriously, yeah. seriously though, because like the, 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 the easier you make their jobs, the, the more likely that they're going to be able to deliver the value that they're, they're, they're trying to, to deliver and not, and not make a mistake like that. Especially when you're a, in a high stakes, uh, sort of uh, uh, missions that, that, that JPL. Yeah. Works. When, and when they talk about that, that case study, cause JPL is like in their orientation program, talk about that, that, that failure, basically that, you know, we sent something to Mars and it crashed. Um, and basically it was because we didn't get the unit conversion. Right. But when they talk about the story, it actually was not so much about just like unit conversions or a system that failed them. It was a lack of like communication. It was a communication breakdown between two teams because they were trying to work so fast and trying to build something so quickly and deliver under a certain dollar amount that they they really rushed it and they they weren't communicating. They said, well, that team knows what we're doing. We know what we're doing. We're just going to leave each other alone and not communicate. It's not like UX designers own this on their own. Like There are people who focus on this. They do like the Lean Six Sigma type stuff. They do, you know, they really focus on process improvement and um, you know, and I lean on those people sometimes to be like, 
what should we be doing now? Like, how can we, how can we steer the ship back? Mm-hmm. Right. Cause I'm just used to like software and this is a whole different ball game. This is some politics and personality. So let's, how, you know, help me out. Um, and so like a lot of the workshops we, we do now for this, this big, you know, transformation project really just focus on getting these people together who don't normally talk to each other and having them problem solve and work on things and fix things together. One interesting experience I had our, uh, my, my Harvard, uh, business school, uh, alumni group got a tour, um, of the, the James Webb space telescope as it was mm. being constructed. And the guy giving the tour was the QA lead. And that was the first moment where it hit me. He was talking about how, Oh, the, the telescope's going to be a hundred thousand miles on the opposite side of the moon. So it's nice and dark. And if anything is wrong, there is no service mission. You, you can't just fly out there and you know turn a wrench on it. It's just you get one shot. And it's it's funny because a lot of our conversations on the show recently have really been kind of picking at that that difference between organizations where you can move fast and break things, where you can iterate, you can launch something and see how it how it does and you know come back and rework it. And then there's other organizations where you get one chance. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of the time, that's you know poor structure in the organization, right? You you should be able to iterate, but it's just not being you know run in a in an ideal fashion. But then there's also these use cases where you really do only get one chance. I'm wondering how much of that applies to like the the work that you do or uh, the work that some of your colleagues are doing. With software, you know, th- things can be iterative, right? You can make a mistake uh, if if you're building the software that, like, you know, takes in tel- telemetry data or sends telemetry data. But that could you send something wrong to the spacecraft? It could have it go off course. It could, you know, land on the on on Mars incorrectly and explode. Um, so, you know, and 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 what it really comes down to is that. You, you do have iterations and you do have that chance and that feeling like um, that there is an acceptable amount of, of risk you can take. JPL will actually value you being honest and open about your own mistakes. So during our, our orientation, somebody talked about, I don't remember what spacecraft it was they worked on, but they were, you know, in that clean room and they late, working late at night to get ready to ship the thing and they, they dropped a wrench. And it cracked one of the solar panels or cracked, you know, like a, a panel of the, the solar array and could have easily just been like, do, 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 you know, that wasn't me, you know, like <laughs> just let it get shipped, you know, and like you're prepared for launch and they would have found it and they probably would have fixed it. Right. But instead, you know, that person called up their manager, owned up to it, said, Hey, I just did this, you know, and it was like the middle of the night. And so, you know, the, the lesson there was like, we're human it's okay to make mistakes. Like, yeah, you only have one shot to send this thing into space, but if you make a mistake, it's much better. You talk about it, you report it, you work on a way to remedy it early mm-hmm. on. And so I don't think that's counter to like the whole, you know, work fast, break, break, what is it called? Break, break often. Wait, what is move it? Fast break things. <laughs> move fast, break things. Yeah. But I mean, you don't want to move so fast that you're constantly breaking things, but you know, if you do break things, own up to it. And so that's the accountability um, is, is, is built into the fabric of the JPL culture is that like, you know, we're going to try to mitigate risk, but we know risks are going to happen, especially if we 
dare mighty things, you know, as our slogan goes. There are stories, and you probably can read about them on the internet, about the, you know, the, one of the, 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 the rover wheels on the, the Mars Science Laboratory, the Curiosity, actually got cracked, you know? And so, you know, one of the things that they have another rover on lab that's ex- built exactly like Curiosity. So what did they do? Well, they cracked a wheel. And they said, okay, cool. Now we're going to have this replica, right? So like the wheels cracked up there. It's fine. It happens. The rover's still operating. It's, you know, it's, it's still all the instruments are still functioning, but we're going to replicate that here because we want to make sure anything we're sending the rover is going to, is, is, you know, it's going to move this way or it's going to, you know, it's, it, if that, that wheel is affected, we're going to figure out how that affected wheel is going to affect our science. So, you know, things do break and, and things don't go correctly. The failure reporting system in, in the space industry is a very serious thing. Like when something goes wrong, um, you know, they, they do a huge failure analysis on the, on the thing. I forget what it's exactly called. There's some, some acronym they use that's, I forget, it's like a PFR or something. I don't know. There's some kind of document they create that analyzes everything that went wrong and traces and brings in all the people. And then they present that to every level of the lab. And it's that, that problem, that failure is very well reported. Um, so you move fast and break things. It's fine, but it's like, you got to report that to every single level all the way up to NASA, you know, to your ultimate stakeholder. Um, and, and that kind of carries it in some of the, the, the software systems and things that we do, the, some of that risk aversion, some of that, you know, it's okay to fail, but if you do make sure you're notifying people right away, make sure you're it's very transparent about it. You're not just trying to sweep things, you know, under the rug and, and acting like it's, you know, it wasn't your fault if, if you know it was. Um, so I'm, I'm happy they, they value that because like I said, I, I failed my way to success. Stop designers love. I, I think like Sonos has been the like most amazing product to me, especially from like work from home and having music just throughout my house. Like I love music, I'm a musician. And so to be able to just so easily like plug something in a room and then have music spread throughout my entire house to be able to control it with my phone, change what rooms it is. I mean, and especially with 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 children, sometimes you want to like, you know, drown out the noise. So it's like it's it's a perfect little thing, you know, to to have. Um but you know like any any type of those those types of products, which I feel like you didn't know you needed it until you got one. And then you're like, I'm never going back. Like <laughs> the, you know, like, you know, I remember running speaker wires in my dad's house and he had an intercom system and we'd run like speaker wires underneath the house and things like that. And that was just like crazy, but that was so we could like have speakers in multiple rooms, you know? Um, and now it's just like <laughs> so easy. You just plug in a thing. I, but I will have to say on the flip side, things like electric, horrible if you have a child who's just like into technology because they will just be screaming at the Alexa nonstop and the Alexa does not understand what they're saying. They don't understand any words coming out of that child's mouth. And it's just like, sorry, I did not understand you. And then they get frustrated and then you have to hide the Alexa in your closet because it cannot be part of your family experience anymore. Um, so Sonos great. Cause I can just like pop on some music really quick in my cell phone. Um, but voice controlled things for parents, not so great. So sorry, that was what I love and hate about things. So hopefully Sonos will give you some money for that. Hey, Paul, if people wanted to reach out and connect with you online, where do you hang out? Uh, I'm I'm on LinkedIn. You can reach out to me, connect with me, message me, especially any young designer and 
you know, that, that is just looking for some guidance. I do portfolio reviews if that's what, if that's what you're into, but yeah, if you hit me up on there, I'm sure I, I will be more than happy to respond within a few business days. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, To SLA, we're holding you to it. I listen to podcasts and, um, you know, I, I know it's a lot of hard work that you do. So thank you for letting me do this. And, and, and it makes me feel good. It makes me all warm and fuzzy inside and reaffirms the reasons why I'm working where I'm working and the things I can do as an individual to help other people. Um, so, and, and know that you are helping other people by having this podcast as a service and letting people listen to it and use and sharing your expertise. It, it really does provide value um, to people. So just want to thank you both for that. Oh, thanks for saying it, Paul. If you found this show useful, usable, and desirable, please share a quick review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Reviews help people find the show, and we appreciate your help. And remember that UX Like Us is your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at UX Like Us and let us know who or what you would like to hear on the show or what you're talking about in your practice right now. So I'm Larry King. I'm at LA King on Twitter, and Roman is still at Stuperman. And we want to thank you for listening. Thanks again, Paul. Oh, yeah. Take care.